While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, No more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, and they had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I'm not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, Prophesy, who hit you? And they said many other insulting things to him. At daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together, and Jesus was led before them. If you are the Messiah, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, If I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They all asked, Are you then the Son of God? He replied, You say that I am. Then they said, Why do we need to any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I have found no basis for charge against this man. But they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. 
From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there, vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he has sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas has been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time, he spoke to them. Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he crucif be crucified and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man they, who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if the people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing and they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him white vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly, I tell you, Today, you will be with me in paradise. 
It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that it's been written for us and for our salvation. So as we turn this morning to hear the story of the death of your son, show us how it changes everything. Amen. Uh, well, let me have my welcome to that of Michelle's before. My name is Jeffrey Lynn. I'm one of the staff here. It's great to have you with us here on our Good Friday service. Whether you're a member of our church or a visitor, a guest, a family member or a friend, we're delighted that you can spend this morning with us. Can I ask you please to open up the handout that you were given as you came in? You'll see there's an outline of what I'm going to talk about for the next few minutes. Uh, and after I finish, we're going to sing again, so um, the band will come up and we'll continue on in our service. Uh, well, everybody loves a good story, uh, whether you're hearing it for the first time or a familiar story that's being retold through a fresh perspective. Now, with that in mind, I thought today what I'd try is to invite you to imagine how Jesus' death might have looked to one of the soldiers who executed him. You'll see a verse printed at the top of your handout there from Luke 23. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. Uh, this morning, therefore, what I'm going to invite you to do is to try and see the cross of Christ through the centurion's eyes. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is... Actually, I think I'll remain anonymous. And after you've heard the story, I have to tell you, my guess is you're not going to care what my name is at all. Let's just say I'm a centurion in the Roman army assigned to Jerusalem Station. And I've been stuck in this outpost at the edge of the universe for years. Although yesterday is a day I'll never forget as long as I live. So yesterday was Friday, um, and, and actually it began pretty uneventfully uh, for the Passover. Uh, to be fair, this can often be a pretty tense day for the Jews whose country we Romans rule over. So the Passover is one of their most sacred religious festivals. Uh, there's always panic buying on lamb in the week before. It's the time when the Jews remember how their God allegedly rescued them from slavery in Egypt some 2,000 years ago, which I suppose is why they're not very pleased to be under our rule today. Uh, maybe that's why for them, at Passover, there's always a sense of expectancy about the feast. Uh, maybe this is the year in which their God will come and deliver them once more, but... Each year, 
It just seems to come and go without incident, without anything changing. This time, however, I've got to say, the whole city felt like it was on edge. And that's, of course, because everyone had heard about Jesus. Jesus, that upstart rabbi from Nazareth, who's spent three years building a fan base out in the sticks, but finally he's made it to the big smoke. He's come to the capital, to Jerusalem. And the word on the street about him, about what he'd done, those healings and miracles and all his teaching, what he claimed to be, well, it had gotten the Jewish leaders worked up wherever he went. In fact, just this week, there had been all sorts of rumours swirling about. Now, I've got to say, to me, they mostly felt like obscure points of Jewish religious belief and customs that I neither understood nor quite frankly cared about. But ever since his arrival in the city, the whole place has been on tenterhooks. It's been a bit of a powder keg, and to be honest, as a soldier, I care about that. Skirmishes at the temple, talk of uprisings and insurrection. And I suppose that was enough for the Jewish leaders to get a hearing before our governor, Pontius Pilate, when they dragged Jesus in to see him yesterday. Now, I was actually just coming on shift at the time, uh, and to be honest, in many ways, I was, I was actually pretty glad. Uh, I could sense that this wasn't going to be just another ordinary day, and quite frankly, after years stuck in this town, in this dry, dusty hellhole, with the constant state of conflict, um, apparently no one likes an invading force very much. You know, they say change is as good, of a, as, as, good as a holiday, so actually, I was looking forward to being on duty, but here's where it got interesting. Because one rumour finally came out into the open. Allegedly, this Jesus was inciting the Jews against paying taxes to our mighty emperor. Our emperor, you know, all hail Caesar. In fact, there were even claims going around that Jesus was the king of the Jews. And that, of course, I think got the governor's attention. The odd thing is that um, Pilate, the governor, he didn't react particularly strongly. Now, even when Jesus refused to answer his questions, and in my limited experience, when it comes to stonewalling people in power, that never goes well. They just get madder at you. And what's more, Pilate in the past, he's never hesitated to come down like a ton of bricks on even the smallest sign of dissidence. Actually, I was there when he first arrived in Jerusalem years ago to take up his post. You know, the very first thing that he did was that he raised the Roman flag right in the middle of their pathetic little temple just to show them who was boss. And of course, the locals rioted at that point and Pilate ordered the mass execution of civilians. It was brutal, even by Roman standards. As you know... We didn't get to rule the world by being soft on crime. But the thing is, yesterday, Pilate, well, he just seemed unfussed. He seemed almost nonchalant, maybe even a little uncertain, possibly even afraid. I overheard one of the servants 
saying that his wife had apparently sent him a message that he ought to steer clear of Jesus. And, uh, well, it's a wise man who listens to the woman who shares his bed. And so, I guess like a typical Roman politician, he tried to pass Jesus off to King Herod. I mean, why make an unpopular decision if you can get someone else to wear the blame? So at this point, my squad and I, we take Jesus off to see King Herod. Uh, you can imagine there are pretty tight security protocols by now. But Herod got even less out of him than Pilate did. Jesus wouldn't speak to him at all. And so after a bit of mockery and a bit of fun, Herod sent him back to Pilate as if to say, uh, no way, mate, he's your problem. You deal with him. And again, still, for life of me, I don't know why, Pilate was reluctant to just dish out justice Roman style. You know, get it over and done with, make an example to crush any future resistance. That's how we normally do it, and, and I can't understand why he didn't. I mean, Pilate had never cared for due process before. He never cared about fair trials. It seemed to me, actually, as I stood watching from my post that Pilate almost wanted to let Jesus go. He even offered to flog the guy before releasing him, just to appease the crowd, I guess. But of course, that was never going to be enough. And so we came to one of the really strange moments of the day. You see, over the years, we Romans have developed this custom that on the Jewish Passover, we will release one prisoner to the locals to show them just how merciful we are. And so Pilate tries to use that excuse to set Jesus free. But he completely misread the mood of the mob. Now they're baying for blood. And instead they demand he release Barabbas. Barabbas, that insurrectionist, the guy who murdered so many of our soldiers. It had taken us months just to hunt him down and to capture him. And I think actually Pilate must just have been too tired and worn down by it all. Because I have never ever seen or heard of a Roman governor giving in to the demands of the locals once they do once they sense weakness, they'll walk all over him. Last night, in fact, uh, back in the barracks, I heard someone say that Pilate had been told that if he let Jesus go, he was no friend of Caesar's. And, of course, that signed his death warrant and he released Barabbas to them. As an aside, when it was all taking place, I couldn't help but think to myself, wow, that Barabbas, he is one lucky guy. He's gone from death row to complete freedom in one day, having done nothing to deserve it. I found myself wondering, what's he going to do with his second chance? Actually, I didn't think for very long. He'll go straight back to his terrorist ways. We'll have to hunt him down again. The contrast in my mind couldn't have been clearer. Jesus, the rabbi who never hurt anyone, who only preached peace and goodwill, 
he will die in Barabbas' place as Barabbas goes free. Go figure. Well, back to my story. Uh, my squad and I, we take Jesus off to be executed. Uh, actually, he was struggling to carry his cross, uh, so we just grabbed this bystander, some guy called Simon of Cyrene, and we made him carry the cross for Jesus. I mean, <laughs> talk about wrong place at the wrong time. <laughs> I bet that guy was panicking. But what's been bugging me ever since is that along the way, Jesus didn't seem particularly concerned about what was about to happen to him. I mean, don't get me wrong, he wasn't in a good way by this point. He'd already been beaten, he'd already been flogged. And we dressed him up in this purple robe to symbolise his royalty, shoved a crown of thorns onto his head. There's been jeering and mockery. All hail, you king of the Jews. And now he's on death row. He's walking the last mile. But what struck me is that Jesus actually seemed more concerned for the women, the daughters of Jerusalem, who were weeping and mourning and wailing for him. He seemed more concerned about something worse that's coming for them than what was in store for him. I mean, seriously, what could be worse than crucifixion under the might of the Roman Empire? I just couldn't work it out. Uh, but suddenly, there we were. We're at the crucifixion site. I don't know if you've ever been there. It's a desolate hill outside Jerusalem. It's bare and foreboding. It is a God-forsaken place. They call it the skull for a reason. And here's where things got really weird. Because as we crucify him, like we have hundreds before... And as we will do, as long as we need to, to maintain law and order, as we crucify him, amidst all the mockery and the jeering, the final humiliation of soldiers casting lots for his clothes, I mean, I don't suppose they were worth much, but there he is naked at the very end. As we crucify him, Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And that's been bugging me. Because in all my years, I have never heard last words like those. What on earth did he mean? Of course we knew what we were doing. You know, if it's one thing that you learn in boot camp, it's how to carry out an execution. Because the way Roman justice works is it's your life or theirs. If you get it wrong, you die in their place. It's the reason why no soldier has ever, in the history of the Roman Empire, failed to carry out an execution properly. So of course we knew what we were doing. But as I lay in my hammock last night, tossing and turning, unable to sleep, those words kept ringing in my head. Father, forgive them. Forgive them. And just before dawn, 
here's what popped into my mind. Uh, I sat up bold upright. I reckon Jesus thinks we are the ones more in need of mercy and compassion. Which seems so utterly messed up. So completely back to front. Because I know where I would rather have been yesterday. It's not in his place, strung up on a cross, nails driven through my hands and feet, slowly suffocating to death. And yet Jesus seems to be saying that my situation is worse than his. Did I mention that uh, we crucified two other criminals yesterday also? One on either side of him? And the funny thing is that both of them seem to think that Jesus could save himself, even in this final hour. <laughs> I mean, really? Escape from us, the Roman army? We are the fiercest, most terrifying fighting force the world has ever seen. Twelve legions of angels could not prevail against us if they tried. But I suppose that's human nature. Desperate to the end, willing to do anything just to survive. One of those criminals hurls abuse at Jesus for not saving himself, and presumably him as well. But the other criminal rebukes him. And I was struck by what he said. We are punished justly. We're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he turned and he looked at Jesus and he asked him, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Well, that's a last confession for you. There's an honesty about himself, his failings, what's put him there on the cross in the first place. And it's incredible insight into Jesus and what he could still do, even whilst nailed to a cross. And I don't think I'll ever forget what Jesus said in response, because it's been puzzling me ever since. Jesus said to that criminal, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise? Now, what's all that about? Is it, is it just code for kingdom? I mean, Jesus was crucified as a king. How can Jesus make any such promises from his own deathbed? And, and what about today? Like, surely the only thing left to happen in this day was his death. I honestly don't know. But according to Jesus, that second criminal was going straight to paradise with him and it just struck me as so bitterly ironic see some of my soldiers got his tattered clothes and that second criminal got direct entry into the kingdom of God well after all that suddenly it was over uh, there was this eerie kind of eclipse that came over the land for a few hours. 
Uh, I heard later, actually, that the curtain in the Jewish temple was torn in two from top to bottom. No one knows how, but uh, this much I do know, that can't bode well. The desecration of the Jews' most holy place. We Romans, we're only allowed into the outer court, let alone, there's no way we'd ever be allowed to see all the way into the inner sanctum. As I said before, I I, I don't get their religious beliefs or their customs, but it feels even to me like this was a sign of divine retribution from their God for crucifying their king. But suddenly, it was all over. Uh, Quicker, I guess, than I'd expected. I thought he might hold out for longer. But Jesus was dead. I've had two nagging thoughts ever since. Uh, The first, what possible good was there in all this suffering? See, if Jesus was innocent, why didn't he fight back? Uh, He never once tried to defend himself against the charges. He didn't use all that power that he had to perform a miracle like he had so many more before. Why did he go to the cross willingly? Unlike Barabbas, he'd never lifted a finger against anyone. In fact, he'd constantly preached about love and forgiveness and a second chance. That, That story about the Good Samaritan, it gets me every time when I hear it. So why does Jesus just take it all lying down? What possible good can come from his suffering and his death? It feels like just another senseless waste. You see, yesterday I saw a scapegoat. I saw a victim of political forces. I saw, to be honest, a miscarriage of justice. I saw someone go without protest. I saw a man thinking of others even in his final moments. The daughters of Jerusalem... And I saw him grant that second criminal direct entry into paradise. Uh, It's those words from Jesus, actually, that are still ringing my ears. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Of course, we Romans, uh, we talk about the afterlife. We believe in an afterlife. We call it Elysium. And of course, it sounds wonderful. And of course, like every Roman soldier, I believe in it. I suppose. But if I'm being brutally honest, I have no idea where it is or how you get there apart from having to die first. That's why it's called afterlife. I have no idea what I have to do in this life to earn and guarantee my place in the one to come. But Jesus... He sounded so confident. And I'm pretty sure that despite his pain and anguish, that second criminal died with a smile on his face. It's not like that criminal had done anything to earn his redemption. He had no time. He just called out to Jesus 
accepted his mercy and compassion even though he had no right to expect it or deserve it. His deeds actually made him worthy of death. But I suppose in the end that's the very definition of grace. Not trying to do anything to be forgiven your sins, just accepting clemency, a full pardon that's freely given. <laughs> Can I believe what I'm saying? It almost sounds like I'm a little bit jealous of that second criminal. Here's my second thought. The other thing that's been bugging me ever since, uh, this morning when I woke up, uh, not that I slept at all, but this morning when I realised that I don't know what took place yesterday, I don't understand what it all meant, just that it was something big, I realised that I want to know more. I want to know more about this Jesus. And what I realised is that I really want someone to tell me and explain it to me. But I've got no idea where I'd start or who to ask. I mean, I suppose I could ask one of his disciples if I could find them because they've all scattered like sheep gone astray. And actually, if they've got any common sense, they'll be in hiding lying low in case the Jewish leaders come for them as well. Actually, I assume that the whole movement is going to collapse now and that that Jesus of Nazareth will be forgotten by history. But I really wish someone would tell me about him because I really want to find out more. How could I ever believe in someone I've not heard about? How will I ever hear if someone doesn't tell me? Who will tell me about this Jesus and how I can gain that promise for myself? Today, you will be with me in paradise.